Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, let's go to the Word this morning. John, chapter 16. <clears throat> I want to talk to you this morning about the helper who will come and ask you this question as we begin. If Jesus said that there was one thing, one thing that would be for your advantage to faithfully follow him, how important would that be for you? That's what he tells us today. And he tells us that it is the helper who will come. Let me give a little brief run up to where we are today because we've looked at this passage over the last several weeks or or this teaching, shall I say, the larger passage. In the chapter 15, Jesus teaches us that the source of the Christian life is in one place and that is as we abide in him or as we remain in him. And then he tells us that as we remain in him, verses 12 through 17, that we will learn to live as we've been loved. So as our lives are filled by the love of God, we will become lovers like God in the world and we will live as we've been loved. And then the end of chapter 15 the first couple of verses of chapter 16 he tells us then but there is some bad news you'll be hated in the world for loving people there's really won't there won't be any explanation for it they hated you or they they'll hate on you because they hated me and that's the reason that they'll hate you but don't let that stop you understand that the spirit the helper will come who will strengthen you in the midst of that so that you can endure Well, he picks up on this idea of the spirit who will come, the helper. And he introduced the helper in chapter 14. And he tells us that the name for the spirit that he gives, the helper, also means that he can be the comforter, the counselor, the advocate, or the helper. All four of these titles are adequate and uh, accurate uh, translations of the word for the title that he gives to God, the spirit. And you have to remember that He's introducing to the disciples uh, knowledge that they will need, but they can't fully comprehend yet because they don't understand how he's about to be wrongly condemned and crucified. But once that takes place, this will be what serves as the foundation for their understanding of what they're supposed to go and to do. And so as we talk about the helper who will come today, I want us to see how the Holy Spirit carries forth the work of Jesus in the world through Christ followers. And that's what I want you to carry away with you today, that Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to carry forth his kingdom work through Christ followers in the world. And we're going to look basically at how it is that the Holy Spirit carries forth his kingdom work in three ways, three specific ways that he lays down for us. Now, before I move into the first way, I need to say one other thing. Have you ever been in a room when the conversation was about you, but didn't include you? That gets awkward real fast, right? Like you just want to go, hey, I'm right here. I hear everything you're saying, right? This happens often at family gatherings. For me, anyway, it does. My family's talking about me, and I just go, hello. 
I'm right here, right? Well, that's kind of how our conversation's going to go today. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to teach you what Jesus is teaching about the Holy Spirit. But I want you to know it's not because he's not with us. He's here in the room working. And only because he is here does what we say about him matter for us. And so I really want us to begin with a prayer, if we can, to acknowledge that and to ask for his help. And here's how I'll pray. Spirit of God, we know you are in this room right now, and we know that you and you alone are the one that illuminates and empowers all that we're going to talk about. So as we talk about you, let us not disconnect you from this conversation, but depend upon you fully to speak to our hearts and to move in this room as only you can to give life where death has once reigned, to give understanding where we've not yet fully comprehended, and to bring about the will of God through the work of Jesus by your work in this room, in our lives, in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. No more elephant in the room, right? All right. The first way that the Spirit of God works in the world, look with me at verse 5 in chapter 16. Jesus says, I don't say these things to you from the, I didn't say them from the beginning because I was with you. That tells us he's teaching about when he's no longer going to be with them on the earth. But now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Let's pause there for a moment. The first way that the Spirit of God carries forth the work of God in the world is by God's presence in us. Holy Spirit is God's presence in us. Jesus returns to this idea, this teaching of the helper who will come. And and here's what we need to understand about who the Holy Spirit of God is. The Holy Spirit is not going to, in some way, appear where he has not been. That's not what Jesus is saying here. But rather, he's going to be revealed in such a way as the disciples do not yet know him. In the other Gospels, Jesus tells them, wait in the upper room after the ascension until you are clothed with power from on high. Then you will be my witnesses. And so he says this, that the Spirit of God will come in a new revealed way in their awareness and working knowledge such that it will empower them at the same time that their commission has been catalyzed to go forth into the world. And so there's a very specific teaching that Jesus is giving to them now that they're going to need to understand in just a very few short days to come. You see, the Holy Spirit is eternally existent. He is the third person of the Trinitarian Godhead, equal in power with the Son and with the Father, equal in glory with the Son and with the Father, and as such has always existed, exists now, and always will. 
This isn't a time that the Holy Spirit all of a sudden shows up. He's never been here before and bam. No, we actually see the Spirit of God working throughout the Old Testament and up until this time through the Gospels as well. But the way in which he's been revealed as the principal leader of God's kingdom mission in the world will be new to the disciples, and Jesus needs them to learn this. He's teaching the disciples how it is that they will relate to God once he goes to the Father. And the disciples will soon know the Spirit as the most intimate presence of God in their life. That's the exciting part of this, friends, and that is the unique nature of Christianity as the Scriptures teach. But Jesus says this, you've not asked me where I'm going. Rather, you've only let sorrow about the details of the situation fill your heart. Basically this, you've let the situation overwhelm you so that you've lost focus on everything else that's going on within you. Now we can relate to that, right? And so he said, in allowing this sorrow to fill your heart, You've not been attuned to what I want to say to you now. That's why I told you in chapter 14 to let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So he says, God, uh, uh, the Father, and myself, we are one. But he's also telling them this, that the helper who will come is also one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one God in three persons. Three persons in one Godhead. That's what he's telling them. And he wants them to stay focused on them on this as he ushers in a new era of spirit-led, spirit-empowered mission. And so he's redirecting them to focus on kingdom mission. He's teaching them how to live in the age of the spirit in the world in which they will be left to do God's work. And here's what he said, you can't let the cares and the concerns of the world rule your heart. You need to believe not only in me, but in the spirit who will bring comfort, who will bring counsel, who will bring advocacy, who will bring help as you need it to your life. It's easy to get distracted, isn't it? It's easy to get deterred from what God has for us. Why? Usually because of the situation, the details, the circumstances of life just become overwhelming. And that's exactly what was happening with the disciples here. That's exactly what happens with you and I so often. And what Jesus says is, I will turn your sorrow to joy. But I can only do that when you believe to let my spirit fill your heart and your mind with the presence, the reality, the truth of God. I want you to see the progression of God's presence with his people here. I think that's important for us to understand because it gives us a framework to see what God is doing and how Jesus is ushering in this new era and how it is that God wants to demonstrate his love. In days of old, God spoke to his people through chosen men. And then in this era of history God came incarnate that the word took on flesh and dwelt among us that's what that word with uh, meant Jesus God the son was with us on the earth and now Jesus is telling us that when he raises or rises from the dead and ascends into heaven to be with the father 
Now comes God the Spirit who will inhabit us to live within us. Do you see the the progression of intimacy? God was present and speaking to his people. God came in flesh, dwelt among his people. God inhabited his people. Listen, friends, don't ever think that your Christianity is all up to you. It's been all about God since day, well, before day one, right? God is a God who loves and pursues those who will trust in him and believe. And if he does not go, if Jesus does not leave, the Holy Spirit cannot come. But when he goes, do you hear that? No if. When and will, he will send the Spirit. You see, he's transferring the primary point of relationship with God from walking with him on the earth to walking by the Spirit in God's will. God's presence in believers demonstrates for us his complete and his intimate love for us, friends. Don't ever forget that. Every now and then zoom out and look at the big picture of what God has done and what he is doing and what he has promised so you can always be reminded to not get overwhelmed by the circumstances in the situation, but to continue to press in to abide in Jesus and know what he has for us that you might live with him. There is a book that's recently been published called Jesus Continued. And the subtitle says, Why the Spirit Inside You is Better Than the Jesus Beside You. Author J.D. Greer captures the essence of Jesus' teaching here when he begins in this way. He says, The Holy Spirit tends to be the forgotten member of the Trinitarian God. Just forsaken, forgotten, neglected. You know, we we spend so much time on so many other things. And I would agree with his assessment here, but I would add two other positions that are often purported as well. If not forgotten, some treat the Holy Spirit as what I would call the acceptably forsaken member of the Trinity. And so they know about him, they speak about him eloquently and with big, impressive, inspiring words theologically, but they neglect him practically there's no personal relationship with the spirit and what the spirit is doing in the life of the believer and in the world today and then on the other end of the spectrum there are still others who want to handle the holy spirit as a fortune-telling freak show so so that they can entertain and manipulate that, that really does nothing to point to anyone other than the cause that they are purporting or even the person that is doing the purporting. Friends, every Christian must be vigilant to guard against the abuses and the excesses. But that does not give us allowance to in some way dismiss or forget the essential nature of the Spirit who Jesus in his own word says is for our advantage. This is the point of our teaching today. We proceed to pursue the filling of the Spirit in our life with great and increasing and ever more liberty that we might know the presence of God 
in our hearts and in our lives that we might know him in the everyday details of where we live. We forsake our source of life when we relate wrongly to the Holy Spirit. And I'm hoping today I can help you by understanding about him and yea, even communicate with him today to not forsake, not forget, and surely not treat him as some kind of freak show that we can live without and believe that we don't need. Here's what I'll tell you. Listening is key to relationship. We listen most to that which holds our interest, do we not? The affections of our life, the the, the things that really stimulate our mind, we love to talk about because we've gained understanding about. And I mean, there are just some things that, that I can talk about forever and never grow tired of because I'm so interested in them. And most all people are this way because it holds our interest. And, and we simply listen best to what our heart and our mind is tuned towards. That's what Jesus is saying about the presence of God in us. That when Christians let Christ dwell richly in us, as Colossians 3 tells us, let the peace of Christ dwell richly in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in your mind. Why? Because when it consumes us, it will attend us. And we will listen. When we consume the life our life with the Holy Spirit, we will listen and relate for the very source of what he gives to us, life with Christ. You know, in my life, I've had to learn to listen. It didn't come natural. That's a present statement as much as it is a past one. I'm a doer by inclination. I want to go do something. I don't like to watch football. I'd rather go out and throw a football, right? I don't want to watch a home makeover show. I'd rather go organize my tools. I don't really want to go do the work. I just want to act like I own the tools to do the work. But I'm a doer by inclination. I struggle to listen. When you begin to tell me something, I've got something to say. Your talking makes me want to talk, right? That's just the way I'm wired. And listening, when I know I have to listen, I just get really uncomfortable. Things start moving inside of me and I begin to implode. I've had to learn to listen. Specifically, I've had to learn to listen in marriage to my wife. That, 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 that the value that God has for me in marriage from her, I have to listen now. At this very moment, let me tell you what's taking place. The women are going, all right, yes, amen. Come on, bring it. Say something else about it. And the men are going, what'd you say? <laughs> but I've learned the value of it, even though it remains difficulty for me to practice it. Because when we listen, we, we transfer dignity to the person that's speaking. We give value to them. We say to them, you're important enough for me to not be distracted and to hear and entertain what you are saying. We give them worth. When we don't listen, we not only fail to honor them, but we also strip more from them of those things as well. We not only say, what you're saying is not important to me, and so I'm not going to listen, but in an ever so subtle way, we say, you're not important to me, and so I won't listen. 
And when we don't listen, we, we fail to honor others. Now, that usually occurs without thought of what we're doing. It's not that we're trying to be mean or hateful to other people. It usually occurs without thought, but, but because we're consumed with what it is we're thinking about or feeling, right? And that's the point. That's the point that Jesus is making to his disciples. You are consumed with you, and you've allowed it to distract you from what I am doing in you. He was warning them to listen. Listening to the Holy Spirit, friends, honors God as he is worthy, and it bestows upon him the worthship by which he is worthy of. You know what that is? That's worship. Listening to the Spirit of God is vital for us. And Christian, the Spirit of God, hear me, hear me, just as Ezekiel prophesied hundreds of years before the Spirit was introduced in this way, he said, I will give you a new heart of flesh, and in that new heart of flesh, I will put my Spirit, and the Spirit will tabernacle within you. Yes, that's right. That moving place that they tore down and set up that was a massive tent called the tabernacle, that word literally means I will inhabit you. God, by the very place that they worshiped him, gave them a regular reminder of what he was doing in them. And that's the way it is for us today. His spirit lives in us. And may many, many learn to speak accurately of God that is beside them called Jesus, God the Son. But far too many fail to live by God in them. The Holy Spirit. Jesus, our Savior, and Holy Spirit, our helper. We, we need the Holy Spirit as much as and to fully enter into the atoning work of Jesus, our Savior. Christians live in Christ. Paul talks about that. And we walk by the Spirit. Those aren't two separate things we do. They're one and the same. Just as God is one. And we do that by listening and responding to the Spirit as our source of life. He who is here with us is in us. And he is the one working among us even now. And so Jesus tells us, that the Holy Spirit is the presence of God in us. He's not just a theoretical concept, but he's active. He is working God's will out through the accomplished work and finished work of Christ on the cross. That's the first way that the Holy Spirit carries forth the work of Christ in the world. The second way, look at verse 8 with me. Verses 8 through 11, he says this. And when he comes, he will convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The second way that the Spirit of God works is by conviction in the world. Conviction. We need to understand how the Spirit works, this conviction that he speaks of. Because this is the way that God is addressing all people in the world right now as we speak. 
He always has, he is, and he always will, but we're coming into a new awareness of this. Jesus tells us in the immediate preceding passage that people felt guilt from their sin. Why? Because his word showed them that it was sin in their life. You see, the word of God is the standard of God that identifies and defines what sin is for us. And Jesus said, people don't like it. They think it's my fault. But when I tell them their problem, they get mad at me instead of looking at the problem and what it's created because they feel guilt from sin. And before the word came, they didn't know what sin was and they thought it was normal. They just thought, well, this is what happens and it feels good for a while and then it condemns, crushes, and and you just got to go back for the feel good, right? But Jesus says, no, that's not what happens. When the word comes, the word says, this is sin. The word says, this is not the way you were created to live, but you can't do anything about that. Only God, through his Savior, Jesus, can redeem, forgive, and cleanse you of that sin. But until you've put your faith in him, the guilt, the shame, and the stain of sin remains on. And so this is how God is working to address people in the world. Now he teaches how it is that he relates to those people that are carrying that guilt. And this is where conviction in the world is so important. Conviction as a word in the Greek language is a word that's used more broadly. It can be used to, to blame or to correct or to punish, to rebuke or reprove, those kinds of words. But in the New Testament, the way in which the word is used has a much broader meaning to it that it not only points out with blame, but rather it points out with an aim to correct. And so when God talks about the Spirit bringing conviction, it doesn't leave the guilt or the blame on the individual, but rather it appeals to that individual to identify the root of the problem, but appeals to invite them to seek out the source of correction. In other words, the help. This is why the helper is so important. And so when the Spirit works by conviction, that he confronts that which is not aligned with the truth of God's Word, which what did the Word of God do when it came? It identified sin, and it revealed the guilt that sin was putting on people. And the Spirit comes and says, look, this is what sin is. This is how it's defined. But you can stop and correct it if you'll turn in repentance and trust in me. So conviction that goes from the Spirit is not just to cast condemnation, but to appeal to that root of the problem in order to bring and offer correction and healing. That's what the Spirit is doing. It doesn't matter if it's in the smallest nuances of life, those inklings that we have from within when the Spirit speaks in that still, small voice, or if it's in the big narrative, larger situations, circumstances, and decisions of life, we need, because this is what the Spirit is doing, to be able to listen to the Spirit, to discern where He is working, and to see where we may be believing or or, or not believing, so we're in sin, so that we can turn in repentance and trust Christ. The Holy Spirit brings conviction to show people their sin and to summon them to repentance. You go, well, how is that difference? How is it that the Spirit of God brings conviction and Satan, the evil one, the accuser, which he is known by, condemns by sin? 
How do I know the difference in these two? Well, let me give you this. Satan points to people's sin and he accuses them. He is the one that tempted them. He put the root of temptation in them. He cultivated that root of temptation until it became full-blown sin. And then he goes this, you idiot. How did you ever think that that was the right thing? But you told me it was the right thing. Don't blame it on me. Blame it on you. You're a fool. You're no good. You're worthless. He totally moves beyond the sin itself and goes right to the heart of the person and says, you are guilty. Ha! You worthless piece of flesh. And every time you start to utter a response, he burns hotter with condemnation, with guilt and shame on who you are. The Spirit of God comes in and says, brother, I want you to know something. Sister, you need to understand this is your problem right here. It doesn't have to stay your problem, but you need to come to grips with the fact that it is your problem. And as long as that problem is there, that burning guilt, shame, and condemnation is not going anywhere. But I want to tell you about a problem solver. I want to tell you about one who died to do for you what you cannot do for yourself, but he was glad to do for you. And I want you to know that if you'll, in response to this sin right here, turn and put your faith in Jesus, he will forgive you and that sin will be wiped away from you clean, white as snow. And he will bring you into a place where you will not get on your own, but he will give to you freely because of who he is. You see, the Spirit never speaks to our identity in that sin because God doesn't look on you to identify you by your sin the way Satan does. That's what condemnation does. Conviction says, hey, Jesus is this way. Come on. He loves you enough. He will not leave you in that heap of burning coals. That's the difference. That's how conviction works. We must understand the scope That the Spirit is not just working in Christians. The Spirit's working in the whole world right now, right this very moment, because God's not bound by time. The Spirit of God is working across the whole world in every person that is alive right now, and He is working by conviction. Yes, moving and working for the fame and the glory of the name of Jesus, that the revelation of who God is for us might be made known in every place. He's working to call people out of the world and their sin and into the redeeming work of Jesus Christ by the word that has gone forth. And you see, we understand the scope of his work as we see the purpose of his work, that he, that he convicts of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And the way that Jesus is saying this is not just to, to, to identify individually, but rather he, the key idea is he's talking about the standard that God has set for these things. How often we want to argue with God, well, God, I don't think that's really sin, but God's already said what sin is. He set the standard. He said, God, I think I'm good enough. I don't think I need what you've got. But God is the one who sets the standard for righteousness. And the Spirit is the one that impresses that upon the heart and minds of people. And God is the one who brings conviction regarding judgment. And so the idea he's purporting at first here is that God is the one that sets the standard to determine and define sin and what is righteous and what happens to sin because of God. You see, sin literally means to miss the mark. 
mark, it denotes the standard determining what is out of conformity to justice, to, to law, and even to morality as God has laid it down in his word. It's not just talking about a specific act, but it's talking about all that arises out of choosing other gods or idolatry. Your biggest problem isn't the sins you commit, it's the sin that is your nature. The sins you commit are just the bad fruit that you keep growing because of the root you're living out of. But when Christ forgives you, he roots it out and puts a new heart in you, a new root to live from. And that's what the Spirit is cultivating within us. God is the judge who determines the standard for righteousness, how it is measured, and what will be deemed and judged by those who break it. And so the Holy Spirit's conviction is measuring life by God's standard in every person and pointing them to God's standard bearer, Jesus Christ, who is the only hope against that standard we could not live up to. And then finally, he says that the root problem of each of these sins is why. Well, convicts of sin because of unbelief. You see, unbelief is the source of every and all sin, friends. When we fail to believe in Christ and walk with him, that's where all sin is rooted. And the Holy Spirit illumines the word of God because here's what happens. We look at God's word and we read the word and here's what we should understand, that in the Bible, it perfectly sets forth sin in scripture. But that doesn't mean that every sin is individually identified. Let me give you one brief illustration of this and and then I need to move on. I've said this before, I'll say it again. Two guys... Considered a baseball game. They can have the same soda. They can have the same popcorn. They can watch the same plays one after one. One guy is enjoying the good measure of God in his life. The other guy is fully immersed, wallowing in idolatry. How can that be? Because of the heart. Because of the heart. Now, it's not just about baseball. Obviously, that's God's sport in the beginning. Sorry, I just shouldn't do that. I can't stop, though. It's a preacher joke. And you laugh. My point is, Scripture sets forth perfectly what sin is. It just doesn't individually define every sin. Every sin. But the Spirit, the Spirit who illumines and applies perfectly the Word of God will not let you remain in any sin He identifies by applying perfectly the word of God as it has set forth sin. The spirit of God is applying sin personally, individually, and intimately that we might not remain in it, but that we might repent and walk out of it. That's the Spirit's work in your life, illumining the Word to bring personal conviction and applying it regarding specific sin in each individual person's life. Now, what about righteousness? How does he convict of righteousness? Here's what Jesus says. He'll convict of righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. There's the standard. 
When Christ died on the cross, God raised him from the grave. Why? Because he was pleased with the sacrifice that he offered on the cross. And the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, beginning in verse 5, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being God did not consider God something to hold on to and say no to God but rather gave up his glory in the place he was seated and humbled himself and became obedient to God and became a man. And as a man, humbled himself and became obedient even to death. And then verse 9 through 11 shifts. And God saw what he did and he was pleased. And the wrath of God that's being revealed against sin was consumed on the cross for all of those who believe in Jesus. And for those who put their faith in Jesus, they die a death with him because he atoned for their sin. And God raised him up, Philippians says, and he gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then he raised him up. He ascended back into heaven and he gave him a seat of authority that none could compare to, none could compete with because none was like it. And that is where Jesus is today. That is the conviction of righteousness that the Spirit of God is working in the world today and is telling the world that Jesus was the only perfect person, the perfect sacrificial lamb. But when you believe in him, what you can never achieve achieve, purchase, or earn in your life will be freely bestowed upon you because of what he offers. Conviction of righteousness. You say, how do we know that? Well, the Bible tells us this. No one found guilt, not just from him, but hear me, in him. In him. His very nature. There was never a word he spoke or an innuendo of expression where somebody went, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, there was no guilt found in him. The Holy Spirit also convicts of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged, he says. The Holy Spirit, friends, is not simply visiting and judging each person, but rather as he calls them to look to Christ, the righteous one, that for which God sent, that we might understand what righteousness is all about. He also pronounces ultimate judgment against the one who is not righteous, the evil one, Satan himself. And listen, Satan may get a word in every now and then in your life, but there's coming a day when he won't get a word at all and when God says shut your mouth he won't be able to open it and do you know how we know this because the demons in scripture when they confronted Christ they gave him honor before he even acknowledged they existed there is no power there is no authority in this world or any other world or in the spirit world that even speaks without the allowance of King Jesus And when God says he's the standard of righteousness, you can say all you want, but your words are hollow and empty because he has proven his statement. And when he says Satan is judged and condemned, there's a period at the end of the sentence and there is no rebuttal. 
That's what the Spirit is convicting in terms of judgment in the world today. And that's the word that he is uh, doing in the work. The Holy Spirit shows Satan as a defeated foe for a cosmic warning to all who would take note and heat. Because he says this, the Holy Spirit says to us, you are the loved You are loved by God, but if you follow that loser, you will lose with him. Understand that. Understand that. The Holy Spirit works to exalt Jesus Christ by conviction because he makes clear what Satan has muddied about Jesus Christ and about the Christian life. He makes certain what Satan wants to cast speculation and denial and accusation against. He makes right what Satan perverts and wrongs in this world. The Holy Spirit works so people know there's forgiveness and cleansing for all that stains and condemns and that there's peace for all that makes life anxious and chaotic and confusing. The Holy Spirit convicts the world to identify sin by exalting God's truth in his word. The Holy Spirit convicts the world by uh, identifying righteousness and exalting Jesus, the Son of God. And the Holy Spirit convicts regarding judgment because he judges sin and atones by the, and its atonement by the exalting Savior, Jesus Christ, who was the perfect sacrifice for sin. The Holy Spirit convicts to point the world to Jesus. That's the second way that he works. The third way he works is this. He guides believers into all truth. Look at verse 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you, but cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit works by conviction in the world and in each Christian to guide into truth and righteousness. He's our guide. He, these things uh, work together, and, and the work of the Spirit in the life of the believer is still by conviction, but it serves a purpose to guide us into righteousness. Why? Because we're living in a state of constant and ongoing repentance, turning from ourselves and ushering our lives into where the Spirit is leading us for the righteousness of God to be made known within us. You see, the Holy Spirit guides every Christ follower by illuminating God's truth that is within us to redeem and to walk in his wisdom in the world. We want to walk by God's way, by God's word, by what God says. And his words are authorized by the Father just as Jesus' words were. So again, Jesus is reinforcing that he in fact is the third person of the Trinity, that he is worthy of our worship because he has the same authority that Jesus has. So he speaks in agreement with and with the same authority as Jesus because he receives his words from the same source. That's why he's not a second-rate deliverer of God's goods 
but he is God himself. The Holy Spirit guides by declaring things to come. This is where some have gone awry into the freak show manipulation that they often want. And they go, you know, I've got the Spirit of God, so whatever God says to me uh, or what I think God says to me must be good for you as well. But I'm telling you, God doesn't go, look, I'm going to do a little bit for you, Lane. You figure out what you want to say to the people and then go after it. No, God says, I'm going to speak to you and I'm going to speak through you. And that's what he says. So when when some have looked at this and said, he's going to speak whatever he hears and declare to you the things that are to come, Jesus told the disciples, hear me now, that he would not tell them more because they weren't ready for it. But there was more to be told. And it's not as though it's new information, friends, but rather, shall I say, greater understanding of the eternal truth. Because once they understood what his death and resurrection was all about, they would remember his words with greater insight, with greater understanding, with greater meaning, with greater comprehension, and greater application. And so the Holy Spirit is not producing new information beyond Jesus, but rather he's unpacking with greater power and authority to counter all the things that Satan is doing and to declare all the things that Jesus has taught and declared. The declaration doesn't involve new information that's lacking or absent. Hear me. Though it may be new to individuals at different times, but it's a new depth of meaning and insight in our understanding. For the Holy Spirit declares Jesus' words with clarity and accuracy for all of the Christian Life. And finally, the Spirit of God glorifies Jesus in all of his work. And so when the Spirit is working, the dominant one who is before us is Jesus himself. And Jesus is showing who God is that he might point us to the Father to glorify the Father. That's how the Trinity works in perfect unity together. Final illustration, and I'll stop. The Spirit of God is like an adventure guide. He's a spiritual outfitter for us. You know what an outfitter does, don't you? He takes you to a place you'd probably never go on your own, or it'd be very different if you did go there on your own. And He, he gives you all you need to protect you and to, to help you along the journey and to help you be successful. He leads you in every aspect, but he also warns you of dangers. Hey, be careful about that. But, but along the way, he introduces you to the pleasures of the context, and he points out beauty and the enjoyment of it, and he leads into a full adventure by the experience with which he is leading you. Well, friends, the Holy Spirit is the Christian's personal spiritual guide and outfitter for us in a life of God's redeeming work. And what God is doing is that Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit to carry forth his kingdom work in us as he works through us in the world. And as he leads us to engage in his work in the world, we will find that at those places he is using what he's doing around us also to speak to the very things he's doing in us. Why? Because he's God. Because he's perfect. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't leave work incomplete or undone. That, that what he's doing in you, he's going to carry forth to completion. And that's his promise to you. That's why the Spirit of God is so important to understand because he is the one right now who is speaking from God to you and wanting for you what God is saying to you.